Section 32 of the Underground Railroad, Part 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Dore. The Underground Railroad, Part 5, by William Still. Section 32. Portraits and Sketches. Samuel D. Burris. Referred to by John Hunn was also a brave conductor on the Underground Railroad leading down into Maryland, via Hunn's place. Mr. Burris was a native of Delaware, but being a free man and possessing more than usual intelligence, and withal an ardent love of liberty, he left slavedom and moved with his family to Philadelphia. Here his abhorrence of slavery was greatly increased, especially after becoming acquainted with the anti-slavery office and the abolition doctrine under whose auspices or by what influence he was first induced to visit the south with the view of aiding slaves to escape the writer does not recollect nevertheless from personal knowledge prior to eighteen fifty one he well knew that burris was an accredited agent on the road above alluded to and that he had been considered a safe wise and useful man in his day and calling probably the simple conviction that he would not otherwise be doing as he would be done by actuated him in going down south occasionally to assist some of his suffering friends to get the yokes off their necks and with him escape to freedom a number were thus aided by burris but finally he found himself within the fatal snare the slaveholders caught him at last and burris was made a prisoner in dover jail his wife and children were thereby left without their protector and head the friends of the slave in philadelphia and elsewhere deeply sympathized with him in this dreadful hour being able to use the pen although he could not write without having his letters inspected he kept up a constant correspondence with his friends both in delaware and philadelphia john hunn and thomas garrett were as faithful to him as brothers after lying in prison for many months his trial came on and slavery gained the victory the court decided that he must be sold in or out of the state to serve for seven years no change pardon or relief could be expected from the spirit and power that held sway over delaware at that time the case was one of great interest to mr mckim as indeed to the entire executive committee of the pennsylvania anti-slavery society who felt constrained to do all they could to save the poor man from his threatened fate although they had not advised or encouraged him in the act for which he was condemned and about to suffer in viewing his condition but a faint ray of hope was entertained from one single direction. It was this, to raise money privately and have a man at the auction on the day of sale to purchase him. John Hunn and Thomas Garrett were too well known as abolitionists to undertake this mission. A friend indeed was desirable, but none other would do than such an one as would not be suspected. Mr. McKim thought that a man who might be taken for a negro trader would be the right kind of man to send on this errand. Garrett and Hunn, being consulted heartily, acquiesced in this plan, and after much reflection and inquiry, Isaac S. Flint, an uncompromising abolitionist, living in Wilmington, Delaware, was elected to buy Burris at the sale, providing that he was not run up to a figure exceeding the amount in hand. Flint's abhorrence of slavery, combined with his fearlessness, cool bearing, and perfect knowledge from what he had read of the usages of traders at slave sales without question admirably fitted him to play the part of a trader for the time being when the hour arrived the doomed man was placed on the auction block two traders from baltimore were known to be present 
how many others the friends of Burris knew not. The usual opportunity was given to traders and speculators to thoroughly examine the property on the block, and most skillfully was Burris examined from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head, legs, arms, and body, being handled as horse jockeys treat horses. Flint watched the ways of the traders and followed for effect their example. The auctioneer began and soon had a bid of five hundred dollars. A Baltimore trader was now in the lead, when Flint, if we mistake not, bought off the trader for one hundred dollars. The bids were thus suddenly checked, and Burris was knocked down to Isaac S. Flint, a strange trader. Of course he had left his abolition name at home and had adopted one suited to the occasion. When the crier's hammer indicated the last bid, although Burris had borne up heroically throughout the trying ordeal, he was not by any means aware of the fact that he had fallen into the hands of friends, but on the contrary, evidently labored under the impression that his freedom was gone. But a few moments were allowed to pass ere Flint had the bill of sale for his property, and the joyful news was whispered in the ear of Burris that all was right, that he had been bought with abolition gold to save him from going south. Once more Burris found himself in Philadelphia with his wife and children and friends, a stronger opponent than ever of slavery. Having thus escaped by the skin of his teeth, he never again ventured south. After remaining a year or two in Philadelphia, about the year 1852, he went to California to seek more lucrative employment than he had hitherto found. Becoming somewhat satisfactorily situated, he sent for his family who joined him. In the meanwhile, his interest in the cause of freedom did not falter. He always kept posted on the subject of the Underground Railroad and anti-slavery questions. And after the war, when appeals were made on behalf of contrabands who flocked into Washington daily in a state of utter destitution, Burris was among the first to present the matter to the colored churches of San Francisco, with a view of raising means to aid in this good work, and as the result, a handsome collection was taken up and forwarded to the proper committee in Washington. About three years ago, Samuel D. Burris died in the city of San Francisco at about the age of sixty years. To the slave he had been a true friend, and had labored faithfully for the improvement of his own mind, as well as the general elevation of his race. End of section 32